Global Broadcasting Networks presents Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Now here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. Hey, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm visiting today with Lisa Rapp McCall, and we are talking about violence and how it is connected and it is contagious. And Lisa, I'm so glad you're here today because, you know, the just the definition of violence is is something that's puzzling to me as as I raised two boys. Um, because what was violence between me and my sister, or even considered violence by my parents, like you know, the hair pulling, the pinching, and things like that um you know now i got boys and you know and they wrestle and they tussle and they throw stuff at each other and you know i always wonder like where is where is it like where's that line you know when you have more than one kid you're kind of like judge jury ringleader police you know all at once and you look at violence like and you you know the topic today is how it's connected and contagious but like you know where does it start and how does it transfer because when one of my kids punches one of the other the other one punches them back like right you know and those are funny you know kind of tug-in-cheek way to open the you know a very difficult topic but but it, it truly is you know that's like the microcosm of of what violence becomes Absolutely. And it really is hard to decide what is violence, what is play, what is aggression. And that definition is getting a little bit fuzzy and fuzzier, um, especially in the U.S., where we're seeing it all the time. So, like you said, where does the play even between siblings um, at school or, you know, on the playground, where does it start where does it end how do we know if we've crossed the line um it can be kind of confusing but we do know that when someone's gotten hurt from it or someone didn't want to engage in it that that's probably you know a good sign to say that's you know not mutual playing anymore this has now become aggression or even violence in some cases well, yeah, because, you know, I, you know, we talk a lot about bullying in our household. Um, my sister has a program, you know, on bullying and, and, you know, she's raised my awareness of, you know, like what is bullying and not, you know, what, what is not. And I, I see my older kid bullying my younger kid. I mean, it happens every day. It could be a sandwich. It could be. And then I remember like my brothers and, you know, Lisa, you had a brother, to, you know, you grew up with a sibling. So, and, and we knew each other growing up and, you know, we used to beat the crap out of each other, not you and me, but like <laughs> my, my brothers, you know, just, but, you know, and that was boys being boys or, oh, well, they're just, they're just kids, whatever. And, you know, my oldest brother, who was the one who, you know, we thought was going to grow up to be Mr. Evil, he's like the nicest guy now. Like, he wouldn't hurt a flea. You know, I look at all the work I do for children's advocacy work and children's cancer. And, you know, and I was so mean to my little brother. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to know when to stop it. But once it's gone too far, everybody knows it. Right, right. And what we used to think was just 
fine or, um, well, we're just going to toughen you up a little bit. It's okay if you get teased by this one or pushed around by that one. You're just going to be stronger for it. Or it's okay to do a little bullying at school. That's just the normal American way. What we kind of have found now with research studies is that's not really the case, that there are effects from the, you know, too much aggression and violence, that bullying is quite serious, actually. And, you know, punching and kicking and pushing and shoving, it can be a problem later on, especially if it's gone on a lot or repetitively. So what we used to think was just like a character-building thing, now researchers have found that that's not really the case. It's not okay as we thought it was. Well, it's like learning to swim. You know, I grew up on the water. I grew up on Canandaigua Lake. That's where I would disappear every summer, you know, and be gone for three months. And I remember, you know, people throwing their kids in the water to learn to swim. And, you know, I have my water safety instructor. I was a lifeguard in my my late teens and early 20s. And, you know, in t- teaching people to swim, even just as a young woman for five or six years, I could always spot the kids whose mom or dad had that belief system, yeah, you just throw them in and they'll somehow magically learn how to swim, you know, with their 15, 12, 15-pound head that's going to drop them to the bottom of the pool like a, you know, like a sinker, like a lead sinker. Um, And, you know, what I found from that experience is, wow, you know, a couple of, that does work for a couple of kids. Let's be fair. It does work for a couple mm-hmm. of kids. <laughs> the rest are right. traumatized and like fearful of falling off a boat, fearful of the water, you know, frightened of the water. So, you know, you know, it's kind of like that analogy. If you want your kid to be desensitized to be getting hit. And so go ahead and hit him as a kid. And then don't be surprised, you know, if he hits you someday or hits, you know, it's, it's whatever our normal is. And it's not normal to be hurt every day. It's not normal And I don't know about you, but, you know, I just remember this kid, and I won't name him, but I'll tell you on the break, because Lisa and I went to school together from a very young age up into high school. Um, But he picked on me something awful, and... I still hate him today. Like I still, I, I see him on Facebook and he's like, Hey, want to be my friend? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> no, like I want you to like, like, like I never want to see you again. And I'm a grown woman, you know, who's got a mm-hmm. successful career. And I still look back to him when, when he told me I was like in seventh grade, like he went right up to my face and, you know, after repeated bullying and told me I was the most awful human being ever. Mm. You know, and you and still remember that. So that's oh, how like, powerful. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, because every once in a while I'll be in um, a contentious situation in my office or in my business, or you know, I'm on the radio, so I do say things sometimes that offend people, or people have a difference of opinion. And when they really get in my face, I go back to that like seventh, eighth grade moment of just walking to Mrs. Gilmore's history class and having this kid get right in my face and tell me off. Like, that didn't build any character. Right, right. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. Right. We've all been touched by it. And what we're realizing now is that um, violence is not just, you know, in earlier times when it was just isolated things, but we're kind of seeing it, like, every day. Can you really think of a day when you 
didn't um, hear about violence, something on the news or see it in a television show or a movie or even on Facebook or the Internet or didn't hear about it in the language that we speak. Um, so you can't even kind come of, gas today, Lisa, yeah. without having violent news, right. you know, like where you're pumping gas. Right. You can't really get away from it. It's just in every area that you go and we hear the news reports and we hear about violence happening in just every conceivable place from schools, workplaces, communities, homes, churches, concerts, clubs, malls, roads. It's hard to think of a place where violence hasn't shown up at some time. And then it's also online, and then, of course, you know, the real world. So it's really hard to get away from it. It almost feels like a norm nowadays. Well, it is a norm because, yeah. you know, again, we get we get down to economics, and I went to journalism school, and I worked, you know, I worked as a newspaper reporter, and nobody wanted my fuzzy cat stories. You know, they wanted right. the, you know, the, the pig that, that, you know, grew with three heads and then, you know, you know oddities in the news. They wanted the, the violent cheerleader that was strangled and raped and thrown under the bleachers in Kalamazoo. I mean, those were right. the stories that, that attention-grabbing headlines. I mean, let's be fair to society if if it wasn't desired wanted or productive media companies wouldn't post it so there's something in the human condition like i don't know if we're like bloodthirsty or you know and i'm not excusing it by any means but i'm just saying our media is not just the big evil media machine i mean there's there's a lot of it that is but it's also a reflection of the consumption of the public absolutely if we weren't reading it if we didn't go to those movies they wouldn't make those movies so we're going to those movies and we um kind of glamorize it we hate it and we love it um, we're really confused about it, I think. Um, but yeah, we're really drawn to it and it's hard to get away from. And I saw, uh, one stat, which was really shocking that, um, the average child will watch 200,000 acts of violence and 16,000 murders on TV by the time they're 18. I couldn't believe it, but when I thought about it, I thought, well, that makes a lot of sense. Even when you try to keep your kids from watching things that are too violent, it's almost impossible, first of all. But second of all, it just sort of seems to be everywhere. Well, it does, and especially when they're little, it's funny. Like, I had the Girl Scouts over, Lisa, one time, and they they all disappeared from my kitchen. They were all about, like, I don't know, like 8 and 10, 10 years old, somewhere around there. And I hear them giggling in my office in the back, and it is my 4-year-old that's got this video on YouTube of, like, Bob the Builder and Dora in this <laughs> big fight, and then, like... Dora shoots an arrow through Bob the Builder's head, and then Bob chops Dora's head off, and it rolls down, and it falls in the creek, and everybody laughs. Oh, my gosh. Like, Uh you know, and I'm like, wow. They're like, you know, we will never have this meeting at your house again, Miss Beth. But the kids were howling. Like, you know. We all we ever saw when we were growing up was like phenomena, beep 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 beep, you know, the little <laughs> things on Sesame right. Street. Like right. 
But now you look at it's pervasive. So I'm visiting today with Lisa Ratmacall. We're talking about violence being connected and contagious. When we come back from the break, we're going to explore more of these things so that we can start making corrections in our own homes, start formulating solutions for our schools and our families. We'll be back after the break. We've got lots more ahead. Stay with us on Military Mom Talk Radio. Information about book publishing is power. The power to change your authoring life and the power to change the lives of your readers. So join us for Your Guide to Book Publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific. You'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now. As the book shepherd, Dr. Judith Bryles is in. And each week, she will include publishing professionals that will reveal tips and secrets to the author's journey. If there is a book in you, you want to listen, learn, And yes, call in with your questions each week. For more on Judith and what she can do for you, check out her website, thebookshepherd.com. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. me sometimes you have trouble choosing between being a couch potato or going out hey it's a big decision for us scabberlatchers a scabberlatcher or a ragabash is another word for a lazy person well a couple from california seems to have solved the problem by inventing a motorized sofa You may think they're just spinning their wheels, but people have spotted the couple cruising down the street on their drivable Davenport in West Los Angeles and Santa Monica. No word yet on the couple's identity, but a man claiming to be a relative said it's all well within the norm for his fun-loving cousin. I don't know if this Chesterfield on wheels is street legal, but either way, I think the police would have to put up quite a chase before they could couch him. It's marching down. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm visiting today with Lisa Rep McCall. Lisa, you're a professor at what university? St. Leo University. St. Leo University, and we're talking today about, you know, the exposure to violence. And, you know, you had a statistic that you said earlier about, you know, the average 18-year-old. I'm like, I look at my boys, and it's like, they can watch 200 murders a night. They can zip through, you know, Suicide Squad or some of these other things and, and you know, rack up, you know, 400 murders in a night. So I, I would say double or triple that, at least for my boys. And, right. you know, you mentioned, you know, I only have boys, but what are the girls watching? Well, the girls are watching um, pretty violent things, too. There's a lot of the vampire, they're teenage vampires and werewolves, and they're killing each other at a very rapid pace. And um, there's a lot of teenagers watching, like, the CSIs and NCIS and, and all of that. And um, we get pulled into it, you know. We... we 
we glamorize it, it's enamored, it's exciting. But then after you're watching it over and over, what the researchers have found is that we're getting numb to it. It's not that exciting anymore. It's not that horrifying. It's not that shocking. Um, and that's part of the problem is that when violence is all around us, um, it becomes part of our normal, everyday American culture, and we're not paying a lot of attention to it. But what researchers have found is that our country is quite different than other countries as far as violence is concerned. Um, you know, the third leading cause of death for young people aged 10 to 24 um, is homicide. 86% of them um, are killed with firearms, so we've got a lot there. One in four of our children experience child abuse and neglect. That's a rather high number if you think about it. Um, we've got a lot of intimate partner violence or domestic violence. One in four women, one in nine men are victims of that. So we start scratching our head when we look at some of these statistics about the actual violence that's happening in America um, and know that we're, we're kind of showing up as high on that violence compared to other countries. Well, why wouldn't we? You know, and it's like, you know, the other question that I have, and this is, this is, this gets down to like human nature, you know, we know from, from the food industry that, you know, when stuff is sweet, um, and we eat artificial sweeteners, you know, we, we want more, you know, we want it sweeter and sweeter, you know, our taste buds get numb, but our entertainment you know, and I, 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 I know this anecdotally from doing shows on pornography that, you know, once the novelty wears off, you've got to have more. Like you've got to have, and not just more porn, but like different things to get excited. Like, you know, you're, right. you become a nerd to certain things and then it's got to be weird and freaky and, you know, conventionally what we call weird and freaky and it's got to escalate. Well, Violence would make it would make sense to me. And again, I'm not a, a psychologist. I'm you know just a radio host that thinks about these things. Um, but violence to be satisfying to me would why would it follow any other different pattern than the human behaviors we've talked about? So wouldn't violence have to escalate to be satisfying? Absolutely. So you know, a show without violence is going to look pretty dull. And as you mentioned, you know, for the newscaster to be getting higher ratings than their competition, they have to have excitement and, you know, keep people watching. And people want to see it because now they've got a taste for it. They're used to it. And what we're finding and the Center for Disease Control is talking about now, um, CDC, is that Violence is contagious or infectious, just like the flu. So what they're saying is that similar to other infectious diseases, it's actually contagious. So when you see it and, and consume it repeatedly over courses of days, months, years, that they're finding that people are more verbally aggressive. They can be more physically aggressive quicker. Um, so 
it's violence is contagious. It spreads from one person to another, from one type of violence to another. Um, violence is connected. Um, it's not different. You know, child abuse is not that different from elder abuse. They're related, actually. And child abuse is related to uh, intimate partner violence. And bullying is related to, you know, other forms of violence, school violence. So these different types of violence are connected and contagious, and we're consuming more and more of it as the public. And well, and concerning. I can tell you, like, you know, I like to draw parallels that, that resonate with people. And my dad used to work for Borg Warner, and we'd go watch the Indianapolis 500 because they awarded the trophy for a couple years. And driving out of the Indianapolis 500 was a nightmare, not because there was so much traffic, because everybody wanted to be race car drivers. You know, they were so, you right. know. And, you know, finally, after like the second year, my mom's like, well, no, you know, we're not we're going to wait till all the crazy drivers leave and then, you know, then then leave. And I I remember seeing that thinking, wow, they got influenced by this. And, you know, violence influences our behaviors. And I saw this in my divorce. I saw this in, you know, um, you know, when you see two kids in a sandbox and one of them picks up a shovel and starts bonking his little sister on the head. If there are two other siblings there, one of those siblings is going to pick up and do it. Absolutely. We do model our behaviors after what we see and what we know and what we feel is appropriate. So for that kid that went in in Florida and shot up, you know, all those students, pulled the fire alarm, that to me was part of this escalation. You know, it's not enough just to shoot somebody. We want to shoot a lot of people and we want to make it dramatic and we're going to pull that fire alarm or whatever he did to get everybody out there. Like, you know... That, that was a movie scene. Right. It happened right. to be real, you know, and horrifying and real. But, you know, how many of our, our teens are out there who are neglected, who feel that they do not matter? Well, they're going to do something that matters. They're going to do something that makes people wake up and pay attention that they're somebody. I mean, it's... You know, he, he didn't write a speech and, you know, put it into, you know, the government for some bigwig to speak. He used what tools he had available and what he modeled after. Because that Absolutely. was so like a TV scene or a movie scene. Right, right. And children are more prone than adults, and they're more susceptible to these messages of violence, especially very young children. Um, and so you think of that accumulation. Yes, they are little sponges picking up on everything that they see and hear, and this is how we behave, this is how we treat people. Um, and so along with that normalizing of violence, they're also not learning empathy towards human beings and attachment and care and kindness. They're learning the opposite, and it's like they're getting, as you said, sugar snacks like all day long they're never going to eat a vegetable right if they just have the sugar snacks so it's going to it's harder to teach them empathy kindness caring all those positive qualities for other human beings when they're constantly being fed this information about violence and hurting people well you know to 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 bring up that like 
Florida shooter again. You know, I, I couldn't help. I read this article about how the parents were like, oh, you know, the, the depressed teen's gun collection didn't raise red flags for the family of the Florida shooter. Um, you know, you and I grew up in a fairly rural community, you know, Mm-hmm. You know, I had cows on my street and corn on my street. I can't remember what street you grew up on, but we grew up where it was pretty rural. And people hunted. It wasn't surprising for people to hunt during deer season, and we weren't allowed to play in the woods during deer season because my mom's right. like, you're going to get shot, so you need to stay in here. But I look at my family back then, and I you know, I, I ask about your family, too, if either one of my brothers were stockpiling guns, you know, that would raise a huge red flag, like, you know, but today where guns are gun shows and, and I'm not a I'm not an anti gun pro gun. This is not about, you know, gun defense about this. It's about awareness and of what our kids are doing. If my kid is stockpiling guns, good red flag right there. Right. Right. Absolutely a red flag. And no, we were, you know, never would have been allowed to do that. And I did know families who did hunt and um, did like that sport, gun sporting. But I remember very vividly that the guns were locked up. They weren't for kids. Parents had hidden the keys or, you know, the kids didn't know how to get to them and would never have dared even go near that, um, you know, gun cabinet. Um, but yeah, it's, it is a problem that it's so accessible while they're having this consumption of violence. Um, and in addition, people who've been victimized by violence already, whether that's kids in child abuse or bullying, etc., they are even more susceptible to the messages about violence and they're at a higher risk for further victimization and to be a perpetrator of violence. So when we have a high number of child abuse, one in four of our children have suffered some type of child abuse. Um, add on to that some bullying or if they've seen family violence. Now you start putting all of these ingredients together and you're right, we shouldn't be that surprised by our culture of violence. No, not at all. I mean, you know, if we don't know, and, and this is, again, this is going to get me a lot of hate mail, but I'm going to say it before we go to break. If you are on your phone as a parent more than your teenager and you don't know what your kids are doing and you don't take a break from electronics to think about, hmm, my kid's stockpiling guns or, hmm, my kid's depressed, hmm, my kid's antisocial. You know, you know your kids. We all know our kids. We know when they're struggling, but that means that we have to pay attention to them. And all you have to do today is go to any soccer game or baseball game or volleyball game and look at how many parents' faces are drilled in the phone. I think they all go hand in hand. Uh, We're visiting today with Lisa Rapp. Call and we're talking about violence being contagious and how we can make differences in our children's lives by by at least tuning down some of the violence. We don't have to eradicate it completely. It's not possible, but it's about time that parents start being parents. We'll be back after the break. We've got lots more ahead. Stay with us on Military Mom Talk Radio.
Sacred Cuisines and Sacred Rituals is a quest, a place, and a feast. Join host Vilasi Venkatachalam every week to explore myths, mystique, old medicine, and brilliant modern solutions through a dazzling kaleidoscope of cuisines, cultures, and cures. This is the place where tribes gather, strangers and familiars, to be memory keepers and makers of our evolving, enduring, evergreen, spoken legacy of wisdom and ingenuity. In Velocity's words, when we do old things in new ways and new things in old ways, we paint with an inspired palette, weave our own healing traditions, and become our own guru. Velocity is a troubadour of secret cuisines and sacred rituals. She collects stories of wisdom, ingenuity, and grit. She believes wellness and transformation happen when you stand at the threshold of delight and discovery. She displays her hidden penchant for drama when she leads the safari at the supper club. Her favorite pastime is to extol the marvels of cuisines, cultures, and cures. To her audience in workplaces, seminars, and salons, her mantra is, be your own guru. She is a biochemist, botanist, and alchemist who likes to churn delightful, useful things from a brew of art and science, ancient and evolving, old medicine and new cures. Join Velocity every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm speaking with Lisa Rapp McCall, and we are talking about violence being connected and contagious today. And, you know, I want to make this really clear. This isn't a show that we're advocating, you know, guns, guns rights, anything to that extent. But what we're talking about is being aware of the mental health effects of repeated exposure to violence as children and the um, awareness that parents have to have today to be aware of red flags because, you know, whether it's teen suicide, which is a violent act, whether it's a homicide, another violent act, or it's the red flags leading up to something. You know, when I studied this, this Florida shooter case, you know, all the signs were there, you know, the social media posts, the, the fascination with guns, the, 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 
uh, discussion with his peer group about shooting. And, and again, not all shooting is bad. This is a military show. I'm, I'm an advocate of shooting the right things with control, with precision, with accuracy, and with the, you know, proper intent. But, you know, handing some 19-year-old a bag of guns and letting them go nuts in the school is, is, is what we're talking about. So I want to be crystal clear about that. But there is a lot of responsibility for the community. There's responsibility to the parents. And yes, no one is solely responsible for that 19-year-old's actions. But in hindsight, what could we have done to prevent it? And we see this escalation, especially in the American culture, and it's copycatted in other, other countries. Like, don't get me wrong, we're not the only ones. But if we know that this behavior is copyrighted or copycatted from country to country, why on earth would we not recognize that it's not copied from media to human? Right, absolutely. And copied when uh, we hear about that school shooting, we generally have several afterwards because it's like a domino effect and they're going to try to outdo another one or they feel like, wow, that person got a lot of um, attention and, and glamour in the media. Um, I want my name out there or whatever. So I really think a lot of it um, – is down to mental health and getting help. Um, not everyone who commits violence is mentally ill, and not everyone who's mentally ill is violent. I don't want to make that kind of connection. That's not the case. Um, but we seem to have a stigma still in this country about receiving services and counseling and help for families and kids. If we have a toothache, you go to the dentist. If you have a broken arm, you go to the ER. Um, the same thing should happen when kids are adults are struggling and suffering in multiple ways all the risk factors um, that young man had multiple parents die so grief um, it would have been nice if if he could have gotten counseling a little earlier um, and others as well so I I wish that we didn't have that stigma um, about getting counseling Right, whether it's whether it's a child or whether it's a service member, you know that's struggling and and um, you know there's a an article I posted that I read in Reader's Digest on my website that talked about all outward violence begins as inner loneliness. You know when when somebody feels lonely and powerless. You know, what's the best way to feel powerful? I see it in my own kids, Lisa. You know, my little guy, you know, gets mad at the big one, so he, you know, shoots a Nerf gun and hits him right in the ear. You know, like, right. I, it's it's funny and it's play, but the root is the same. He wants attention. He wants his brother to pay attention to him, or he's mad at his brother because his brother's ignoring him. He's like, well, I'll get you. I mean, yeah. how different is that, you know, from... From my nine year old, you know, versus the 12 year old versus a, you know, 19 year old in a in a capacity with a school, you know, he's right. not going and shooting up a supermarket. He's not picking people off at a gas station or a fast food place. He went back to the school. Why did he go back to the school? most likely, and again, we're not psychologists here, but we can make an educated guess. That's where all the pain started. Mm hmm. 
A lot of pain, um, bullying and acting out and a lot of hurt. Um, and a lot of um, what we find is that kids who are acting out violently have had violence before in their lives. They've seen it. They've witnessed it in their families, in their community. Um, they have been abused themselves in some way or bullied in some way. And that changes them. And it's too bad that they didn't get help earlier at that time when they were victims of violence or saw something earlier because that would really prevent that later violent acting out. Um, it's, we really have to think about changing our culture in the U.S. about normalizing violence. And I know that seems like a really, really big job, but we actually have changed, you know, our norms before. If you think about it, we wear seatbelts now, whereas it used to be that we never wore seatbelts. We've changed our beliefs and our behaviors about cigarette use. We've even started working on texting and driving. So and drunk driving, you know. Absolutely, yes. So changing a social norm, it's not easy, but it can be done. But it takes a lot of public messaging. It takes public buy-in. It takes citizens who are willing to change their own behaviors um, and working together. Well, and it's, it's, I think it's a combination of awareness and boy, you know, when we have these, these shooters like that, it's national news for weeks. Yes. But I also see, you know, like, and this was what was really frustrating to me. And again, we're not, we're not going to play politics here, but you know, to, and again, this is where the media, you know, is the media there to educate and impart information to the people? Is it there as entertainment? Is it there for ratings? Because without ratings, there wouldn't be any news. There would be no advertisers. So it's kind of that vicious cycle. But, you know, when they, they portray or, or use likenesses of people ranting at the president, ranting at gun control, you know, the idiot on the street just ranting away, we've lost this great opportunity to make a change because, quite frankly, this image, you know, and these statements do shape public view. They do, you know, because I don't know how many people actually sit down and really think about this stuff. They watch some lady yelling at Trump or yelling at the government. And I'm not a, I'm not saying pro or negative Trump here. I'm just saying she made it about Trump and people will make it about gun control and people will make it about this but we're really not getting to the core of the problem is we're really not attending to our youth anymore. And I guess that goes back to my rant about, you know, go to any kid's, you know, game today, any organized game, and look at how many parents are on their phone. They're, they're texting, they're watching, they're doing whatever they're doing on their phone, but they're not paying attention to their kids. And this kid, unfortunately, lost his mother to pneumonia and his father died years ago, so... Really, what does he have to live for? No brothers or sisters. There wasn't a real big cost for him to do this. And he gets his, whatever, 17 minutes of fame. And, you know, I don't know why he did this, but I can look at my son's teenage friends and go, you know who the ones are who are unhappy. You know the ones who are probably not being taken care of at home the way they should be versus the ones who are. I mean, we're not talking rocket science here. Right, right. And um, when 
you're right. When people are ranting and all that and the media is showing that, it's just taking us off course. You know, we need to be looking at ourselves and what can we all do now um, to help reduce this culture of violence and change our norms because now is the perfect time to do this. We have had this going on for a while. It's upsetting. It's disturbing. It's scary. Um, what are some of the things that we can do? And you brought up one, Sandra, is, you know, really focusing in on the parenting and paying attention to your kids, especially teenagers as well, um, going in their rooms, checking it out. You have every right to do that, monitoring where they are, who they're hanging out with, what they're doing, how they're doing in school. It's exhausting. I have a kid, too, and it is exhausting to be doing that. It's like a part-time job, at least, um, so I know. But it's all really part of the picture here that we have to pay attention to. And then really monitoring as best we can with all that consumption of violence. You know, you can put time limits on the screen or time limits on violent video games. Like you said, Sandra, it doesn't have to be that you're taking every game away from them or they're never allowed to watch, you know, a movie again. We wouldn't be advocating for that. But we can limit it a little bit, um, limit screen time, limit the type of things they're watching and reduce that consumption a little bit. Well, and that's, you know, the limiting is really important because, you know, like my older kid loves GTA 5, whatever, Grand Theft Auto 5. He loves mm-hmm. that thing. He plays with his friends. They all play together, and they're all straight-A students, and they get a lot out of it, to be fair. They play together as teams. There's cooperation. There's all these things. However... When my older one has gamed way too long because I fell asleep and he stayed up till 2 o'clock in the morning, right. the first thing he'll do is shove his brother in the pool. He'll he'll whip something and knock over his cereal bowl. Like, that, that violence begets violence, you know. And nobody's saying he can't play his game, but there are huge, huge limits on those type of games because any parent knows they have a knock-on effect. Like, you know, when your kid's gaming for three hours and he's shooting up people and beating up people, then put him in front of his little brother. Like, right. <laughs> like with that. Like, right. You know, <laughs> again, we're not talking rocket science here. Um We're talking today to Lisa Rapp McCall, and we're talking about, you know, how violence is connected and contagious. And I guess a lot of this comes down, Lisa, to good old-fashioned parenting and moderation. You know, we're we're not advocating any, you know, ridiculous controls around here, but we are advocating parents being parents and setting some limits with with this. And then, but the bigger question arises, like in this kid, he's got two dead parents. Who's responsible for him? He's over 18. I mean, how did it get this far? And, you know, should we hold these parents accountable for somebody in their home? MomTalkRadio.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Our shows are available on iTunes anytime from 0-100 hours to 23-59. For now, stay right where you are. There's more Military Mom Talk Radio after these messages. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore 
discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the million-dollar mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the million-dollar mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the million-dollar mindset, go to her website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. It's words you never heard. A few years ago, some fishermen off the coast of Italy discovered some pottery along with fish in their nets. Divers were called out and discovered an ancient Roman ship whose galley, or caboose, a nautical term for kitchen, was extremely intact. Some of the food uncovered on board was pickled fish, wine, oil, and grain used to make the ship's biscuits, otherwise known as dandy funks. It is thought the 2,000-year-old boat was probably on its way to Spain when it sunk and was covered by layers of mud, baggy wrinkles and all. Baggy wrinkles are another name for the ship's ropes. The mud protected the ship from wear, explaining why the leftover food on board was still in such good condition. We land lovers may not be familiar with leftovers on the sea, but we are familiar with leftovers in our kitchen. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back with more great conversation on Military Mom Talk Radio. Hey, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm talking today with Lisa Rat McCall, and we are talking about violence begetting violence. And one of the things that was most shocking about this whole school shooting recently in um, Florida, Lisa, was that you know the red flags were there. He's got a bag of guns. He's his mother died of pneumonia. His dad died like when he was 12, and he was repeatedly kicked out of school and. My question today from a social work perspective, because you're a professor of social work at St. Leo University, that's correct? Yes. Is whose problem is he? You know, if the parents were alive, you know, it's yes, it's the parents' problem. But when you kick a kid out of school, when he has repeated problems, you know, this kid slipped through so many cracks, you would think he was a piece of paper. Yeah, I mean, he was having trouble way back when, when his father died, and really serious trouble in the community um, and around the neighborhood, and it's just so unfortunate that he didn't get services and counseling and, and programming back then to try to prevent, but he did. He slipped through um, schools, you know, they they do the best they can, they're they're not given a lot of funding. They're not given a lot of ancillary services or a lot of social workers and counselors. They do need more in the schools. Um, and they don't have a lot of choices when someone's acting out and is dangerous. You know, they're going to expel or suspend kids. But that means that those kids are running around the street now instead of at least in school. So it's, it's really hard. And the other really frustrating part about it is that we do have prevention programs that we know are effective for violence prevention. Um, 
and we need to scale up those programs and have those in all the schools, but they're very rare and hard to find because schools aren't given enough funding to have those programs input into their schools. So a lot of that slips right through the cracks, even though we have ways to prevent violence. Well, and, you know, it's like even the mental health, like the school psychologists, like, I don't know if you remember Mrs. Archibald in our fourth grade elementary school, Mm -hmm. um, if you ever had her, but I wrote this poem that said, I won't do what you want, you can cry, you can plead, you can stab yourself deeply and bleed and bleed and bleed. Now, I (laughs) I didn't grow up to ever stab anyone and, you know, deeply bleed. I was just mad in fourth or fifth grade, maybe she was fifth grade, because I told her, no, creativity is not on demand, and she's like, sit down and write that poem so you know (laughs) that's what I wrote and I went to visit the school psychologist because that's what you did if you draw a picture that's offensive in our school district growing up or you write a poem about stab yourself deeply and bleed and bleed and bleed um you and that was alliteration in my mind right um but I had to go talk to the school psychologist hence I've never forgotten that poem well my kids' school district has, like, one for, like, four or five schools. Yeah. They don't have one for, they have, like, the school nurse, you know, that's there, you know, for bloody gashes, you know, on the playground. Right. Um, but, and then there's the counselors, like, the guidance counselors and the counselors. And I'm like, I go to my kids' school, and I'm not dog in California. I'm not dog in my school district. I mean, I talk to my cousin Jen in, in New York. I talk to my sister-in-law in um Iowa, or I'm sorry, Illinois, and my friends in Texas, the great state of Texas, and they're all reporting the same thing. There is one for, I don't know, 9,000 children. Like, what do you expect? And then you have, and I'm just going to go on my school rant for a second, because it's not the school's fault. It's the allocation of our country's dollars. And how do we expect to have a bright future if we're not investing in our future? But when you have classroom sizes, 36, 38 kids, like we have at Los Angeles Unified, how do you expect that teacher to know each child individually? And if they're doing what they're doing in our school district, which is moving kids from classroom to classroom, I taught at USC, Lisa. I mean, you've got students. Like, when you have a class of 200 students, there is no way you can possibly know them all. You can't identify their risk factors. I couldn't do it for 36 kids, much less seeing 36 kids, three different groups, two times a day. Absolutely. There's no way that the teachers have time to pick up on that, get to know the students, could even act if they saw a poem, you know, similar to yours, Sandra. (laughs) Um, They just don't have time, and they're trying to teach, and that's what teachers are great at doing. They're great at teaching, um, but we need all those support services, especially in the K through 12. This is where these fundamental problems um, often show up. And when they show up early, we have a chance to um, change them. When when we see something at when someone's 36, uh, it's a lot harder. It would be a lot easier if we saw something as a red flag in a youth and we have a chance and we have programming and counseling um, and psychologists as well. If we could have that, that would make so many differences um, for these kids and to have some kind of prevention of violence. 
Well, and how about having, and this is, this is where like, you know, I'm going to just knock on the parents a little bit is, is creating a culture of kindness. You know, I spoke a lot about this in my latest community and, you know, yeah, there's people that are going to look at me and go like, what does she know? Like, you know, what does she think? But all of this comes down to hurt. They're hurt, they're lonely, and they're going to find a way to be recognized. That's it. Right. Right. You know, real simple. Like, we don't, we don't have to get into gun control laws and, you know, mental health issues and all these things. That the fact of the matter is, if you're, and this is what I said, Lisa, in this to this group I was speaking to, you're hungover. Your kid comes over and he pokes you in the ear and you're laying there with a raging headache. What are you going to do? Like, you're not going to hit your kid, but you're going to kick the sheets. You're going to respond violently. Right? Right, right. If right. a dog has been hit by a car and you don't wear gloves, you know, like, like kitchen gloves to help stabilize him and move him, he's going to bite you. Right. He doesn't want to bite you, but he's in pain. And, you right. know, a lot of my shows are about bringing it down to the most basic human emotion. So you have a child who's hurting, who has regular access to firearms, who's been filled with maybe video games and violent television as a way to feel out of pain, important, and maybe even heroic in his own mind. Why are we surprised? Right, absolutely. And we need a concerted effort to start, you know, a public service announcement like you're talking about, caring, kindness, whatever the slogan is. Um, But we need to have those public service announcements and messaging just like we used to do about drugs and smoking and wearing your seatbelt and drinking and driving, etc. And then parents to talk openly about violence and aggression with kids. Make comments when you see it on television, you know, about why that's not okay, really. What could someone do instead? Um, just like you would talk about how they should handle if they're, you know, someone tries to sell them drugs or give them a drink at a party when they're underage. So helping kids learn about appropriate ways to handle anger um, and giving them alternatives would go a long way as well. And not the other thing, Lisa, that I think is really important is to teach kids that the pylon isn't fun. You know, I watch, especially in middle school, you know, there's certain mm-hmm. kids that are targets that are picked on. Right. And they're going to pile on them, you know, like a pile on, like, you know, right. like, you, you know, you jump on them. But but there's also the verbal pile on like, you know, one of my my younger kids, you know, my Zach was telling me about this thing. And I said, well, what did you do? And he goes, well, I just stood there. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, do you think you could have said, hey, guys, let's do something else? Like nobody's asking him to stand in and be a hero. Right. Right. But, you know, he but he said, I didn't know what to do, mom. And then it right. happens like two years later. And then he says, wow, mom, he said, I told them you know what, I don't want to be part of this. I'm just going to go. This isn't cool. And he walked Mm -hmm. away and like four kids walked away. Well, that's a start. Yes. Don't be a bystander, you know, be an upstander and distract, do anything to try to get um, that to stop. But they, you're right. They need tactics. They don't know because what they've seen and heard is all the negative stuff, you know, from from all these years of of that kind of uh, feeding frenzy of violence. So they really don't know. So we have to give them some of the tactics and techniques to be able to do that. And then I think they're willing to try it, you know? 
Well, of course they are. You know, it's like like I took um, advanced life saving. That was part of I don't know if it was part of our high school or my parents made me take it, but we took that advanced life saving Red Cross whatever. Well, there was an mm-hmm. accident, you know, like twenty years ago in front of my house, and you know where I was living with roommates, and I ran out, and I I knew exactly what to do, and they were like, ooh, like how did you know that? It's like you know what. I took a class. You know, it wasn't like it was some savant that it came down and the angels played the harp because I knew what to do. It's like there's a simple class of basic life-saving. You know, here's how you stabilize. Here's how you do less harm, you know, when you're trying to help someone. It wasn't, again, we go back to rocket science. You know, education is key. And if kids have tools, like when you say these things like be an upstander, not a bystander, well, that sounds really great, but what does that look like for the kid? What it looks like is saying, hey, hey, guys, this isn't cool, I'm walking away, or come on, let's go, this isn't fun anymore, or mm-hmm. hey, you know what, there's a pickup game going over there, let's go play basketball. Like all of those ways are not ways that my kid's going to get beat up trying to de- defend somebody else. Now my my six foot three, 14 year old he just steps in and tells him to knock it off. He's done that <laughs> like two or three times Well, people right. will listen to him. But my cup of coffee, my other kid, he'll blow away in the wind. You know, you could spit at him and knock him over. So, you know, size matters in schools. And if you are the parent of a big kid, like I'm the parent of a six foot three, 14 year old with a size 15 and a half foot, and he wears a 2X shirt of solid muscle. I told him he's got to stand up. Right. You know, you have the power of influence just by your size. And you've been granted that, you know, by genetics and God and whoever. But force does matter. But we want to teach our kids how to use their force for good and not for um, intimidation or bullying or power plays. Absolutely. Um, You know, kindness can be infectious, too. We're talking about violence being contagious and infection, but kindness and positive behaviors can be infectious, too. And when someone sees your Zach doing it, another kid now knows how to do it. Yep, we're going to learn, we're going to model those positive behaviors because we've got a lot of influence for the others. All right, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm visiting today with Lisa Rapp McCall. Do you have any bullying website or hotline you want to give us? Um, I don't, but you might want to check out the Center for Disease Control to learn more about violence as contagion. All right, there you have it. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for tuning in to Military Mom Talk Radio. Want more information? Check us out at MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com or find us on iTunes for more than 200 free episodes. Drop us an email or find us on Facebook. We are looking forward to another great discussion. We hope you'll join us on Military Mom.